Hello and welcome to Coexisting. It's 2020 and due to the coronavirus making its way across the world, we find our towns and cities in lockdown in an effort to slow the pandemic. I'm Lara Lightbody, the producer of this show. Apart from the COVID headlines filling our screens, I was curious to hear how people were living day to day. So I asked the same eight questions to people in different countries to get a glimpse of their lives during their version of Shelter at Home. The questions I ask cover life right now as that person is living it. What day of shelter are you on? What are the rules in place? What is it like in the streets where you live? What practical advice has helped you at this time? What is your most memorable moment? And what would you say to someone who is feeling low today? It's part information, part human story archive, but mainly trying to get an uplifting bent on this insane situation we find ourselves in, and at the same time preserving these memories in audio. Memories that will, in a few short months, be forgotten. So, plug in those headphones or that speaker, grab a cup of tea or a glass of the good stuff and take a seat. This is Coexisting. Hi there, my name is David. I'm coming from Paris. I've been here for 26 years now. I'm American originally, although I have uh, UK nationality as well. And uh, I've been sort of confined to Paris since the COVID virus came out. I'm sitting in, the, in my living room. I'm on the fifth floor of a 19th century Paris apartment building. I'm under the eaves. One side of my apartment's under the eaves and the other side is not. And so I'm looking out a skylight at a beautiful blue sky today. I'm hearing a little bit of wind and noise from the street, but not too much. It's surprisingly quiet for a Tuesday afternoon. It's about 6.30 here, the time of year in June when this stays light till almost 11 in Paris because it's so far north. We're as far north as like Nova Scotia or uh, British Columbia. And this is where I spent the lockdown. It's just a very nice, quiet time of the afternoon. Paris is my normal home. It's my permanent residence. And I live in Paris, but I work in many other places. I work in Australia and Israel and the United States. And since we are not allowed to travel, we have been sort of, you know, housebound and also countrybound. Work is sort of dried up. No American productions are coming through Paris for me to work on either. And, and I don't really work with French productions all that often. It's a very closed sort of insular world. So I am an independent television producer and director. So with confinement, with this coronavirus quarantine, I've had, you know, no opportunity to work. Every production I even was thinking about working on got shut down. And that's how it's been for the industry that I work in. I travel a lot of the year and it's been very pleasant to be at home in Paris on the one hand, but it's obviously been worrying not to be working and not to know what the next project's going to be. Consequently, I've sort of tried to pick up some projects that I've been wanting to do on my own writing projects, a documentary that I'd like to pursue, possibly a, a future f film about uh, a French painting that sounds kind of dry, but is very intriguing. There has been talk of allowing some American productions, because they very much depend on that kind of investment and work, under very strict circumstances. Like, it's got to be a fairly wealthy production, like a Hollywood film production that's going to come, quarantine all of the crew and cast that are coming over from the States, because right now, Americans aren't even allowed to travel, given the sort of misfired way that the American government has handled the disease there. So it's shocking. I mean, people here are, are shocked that it's being handled so badly in the States, and it's made them kind of understand that things could have been a lot worse here and haven't been. 
and elsewhere in Europe. And we started out with these sort of horrible visions of what was going on in Italy and Spain. And then suddenly we're told we're about a week behind them. So brace yourself. There's a couple of TV productions that have sent me out feelers about being available to work in the next couple of months to set up some things for an American show. And I just said, unless you've got money and time to kill, like unless you're going to be able to go into quarantine for two weeks, just be prepared to know that you're not going to travel here right away. So that's tough. It's tough to say that, but I'm not an unrealistic optimist about things like that. I won't tell people what they want to hear. I'll let them know what the reality is. So here in France, the confinement, as they called it, began on the 17th of March, St. Patrick's Day, with very little fanfare. We sort of got the hint a week before that they were going to close schools. Then out of the blue on a Saturday, the Saturday the 14th, the government announced that they were going to close all cinemas, theaters, restaurants, and bars as of midnight that night, but with no warning. The next day, Parisians were out and about in parks and gardens and so forth. The prime minister had a complete meltdown and said that they were going to force people into lockdown. We actually have come out of confinement now. It lasted until May 12th, I believe. So it lasted for eight, nine weeks, more than two months in any case. It was very wary going. We are very grateful. After the initial stumbles and lack of communication, the government then was very clear about communicating. They communicated what parts of the country were having massive transmission of the disease and where they were concerned about hospital capacity being surged or being, you know, overtaken with patients. It's been a month, more or less, that we've been sort of out. During confinement, we were not allowed to leave a house more than a couple times a day for essential needs. Like, basically, they wanted you to just go at once. But you could combine that with a walk. So you could walk up to a kilometer of your home. I was here with my closest friend who's a, who lives nearby, but she decided to come and stay with me because I'm sort of the cook for our gang of friends. You know, we were going to turn it into an adventure, but also that way she wasn't going to be breaking curfew or we could be in confinement together so we could hang and do everything that we do. But we didn't see anybody else for those two months. We were just at home. We shopped, we took walks. We got to know every inch of the ninth arrondissement, which was our sort of our one kilometer perimeter around us. We suddenly were told we couldn't leave the house. We couldn't see friends or family. We had to stick with our immediate household. So I did elect to form a household with my closest friend. And we both decided that we would just stay for the duration here in my place, which made it very pleasant. I was very fortunate to have the company and the companionship. I live alone. So having to spend the confinement with my closest friend, you know, you might be concerned that we would have gotten on each other's nerves. In fact, we could hear the couple that live above us screaming and yelling at each other all the time. <laughs> but but we didn't. We took very good care. We turned it into an adventure. I tend not to eat breakfast and to eat a very light lunch. Jillian really, really needs breakfast, you know, breakfast, toast, porridge, tea, coffee, and, you know, a healthy lunch. So I adapted. We focused so much on what we were doing and the days went by really quickly after a while. First, we thought that time was going by so slowly, like we'd get up at seven or eight in the morning and it would be like 11, seemingly eight hours later. And then, of course, like everybody else, I've been binge watching every show that, you know, I hadn't had time to see for a long time. And that's, we've all got that in common. We're watching a lot of films. We're comparing notes with friends. We're sharing every meal we cook at home with all of our friends. It's been a kind of ridiculous, not even a recipe club, but just a club of like dinner plates, you know, <laughs> every night. But we got on really, really, really wonderfully well. And I think it was a desire to make sure the other person was having a good time and was, you know, looked after and comfortable. The city streets were empty. All parks were closed. There was obviously an effort to try to get people to stay 
out of the streets. Oh, and we had to fill out a form every time we left the house, which eventually became an app. So you had to fill out a form timestamping your departure and your reason for going outside. And you would be fined 135 euros if you did not have that on you if you were stopped by a policeman. We were stopped once, but uh, lots of people were stopped very often. The French love paperwork. They're just such bureaucrats. So it's like they wanted you to sign on your honor that you were going out for the stated reason, shopping, walking, whatever you were allowed to walk for an hour a day. You could shop as well. And you could go a little outside of your perimeter to shop if you needed to get specialty items or to go to a doctor or whatever else you needed to do. Masking was not compulsory, but highly, highly, highly recommended. Public transport, you have to wear a mask. In stores, you can, it's up to the store owners to say it, but most people prefer to. It's a sort of gesture we're told of protecting others as well as ourselves. Suddenly, they were opening terraces, which is a huge big deal, because the weather had been sort of mockingly gorgeous for the entire time we were under lockdown. So people were just so eager to get out and sit and have a beer or a soda or something out on a sidewalk cafe. And then when the cafes opened, we sort of went to cafes with people, went on nice long walks. That was also delightful when on May 12th, we were allowed to walk beyond our perimeter for the first time. And I just walked right down to the river just to see the river because I hadn't seen it for two and a half months. So the, the oddest thing about confinement was, of course, how the planet was very happy about it because the streets, the pollution in Paris went to nothing. Animals were out and about, ducks were out in the street. There were no cars. I sort of took to walking in the middle of the street just because that way I could avoid being too close to people if they were passing on the sidewalk, but we didn't see people all that often. After about a month in confinement, out of the total eight or nine weeks that we were locked down, people were out and about more. They they just needed to get out and they wanted to walk and they were you know jogging more than they used to jog and things like that. But still, the streets were ours. And the hardest thing about when things sort of have as they've reopened, is the gradual return of the traffic. And this instinct you have to still walk in the street to avoid passing too close to somebody on the sidewalks, which are very narrow here. So there's an understanding, there's an uneasy understanding with car drivers here that we have to share the space. The French government has told the people of France that they're going to have to change their behavior. And one of the biggest things they're going to have to change is not shaking hands and not kissing, not Le plus faire des bises. Les bises is the kisses that you do on the cheeks, you know, as a greeting with people you know, or even work colleagues do it. And the shaking the hand is a very, very formal and ritualized part of, you know, in the States, if you see people, you usually hug them, you know, when you haven't seen them for a while or fairly regularly with friends. We don't do the kisses and we don't shake hands all that often, except in business meeting contexts, I think. That's a huge change. And it really has changed. Confinement started to blur, right? It started to become this long sort of endless day of not being one day or another, not knowing whether it was Monday or Saturday or Sunday or Tuesday or Wednesday because the workday didn't have the same meaning. Businesses didn't open to tell you that it was a workday. I did see sort of homeless people or, or, or marginal people becoming a little more aggressive and really desperate. And I was worried about them. And I saw people take great pains to provide them with food, to buy groceries. You know, everybody would sort of pick up a, something in the store and they left, they'd give it to somebody outside. It struck me as difficult because, of course, we didn't, everybody's using cards, not money. So nobody had change in their pockets. So you couldn't give anybody change if you wanted to, which is why I think people started trying to give people food or buy them some bread. And I was also struck by seeing merchants that I knew come back to do a little work in the store, maybe some housekeeping, the coffee vendor, the coffee roaster. And conversations with people became very momentous, sort of seeing somebody that you hadn't seen for a couple months and saying, oh, how's it been for you? Are you starting back up? What are you going to do? Where have you been staying? You know, 
that has been really meaningful because it's like, you know, that you live in a community and that you're part of that community because people recognize you and are really happy to talk to you or hear from you and to find out what your story has been or what, you know, and so that has been a really exciting thing too. I've got a friend who lives in New York, which was of course so horribly, horribly hit and she lives alone. And we talk to her once a week too, because we just sort of worry about her being alone. It's hard. It's she's working from home. She doesn't see there's a siren. Anyway, can you hear that? <laughs> That's the sound of France, to be honest, that siren, but, uh, and she's not going anywhere. She's ordering groceries delivered, everything like that. She's letting groceries sit for four days before she touches them in a dry cupboard and, you know, apart from fresh stuff, disinfecting stuff. And I feel terribly empathetic about her lack of contact, you know, with anybody. And it's been really important for us in Paris, I think, to have that contact, to talk to people. We had some sort of illicit exchanges with people during the confinement where we went to like an intersecting place where we could both get to, to exchange. And I had made a big batch of chicken soup. So we met to give her some chicken soup. We weren't really supposed to, but it was no worse than going grocery shopping, we figured. So I do believe that maintaining health during confinement is about that. It's about not feeling entirely a prisoner of your home and then turning your home into something warm and interesting and fun and productive. And cooking was very important. And I thought that at least for the first month and a half or so, we didn't want to go out more than twice a week. It was very careful making shopping lists, planning out meals the way you do for a family, I imagine, and making every meal count. So in other words, every meal was good for three other meals. You know, it was nice to then have leftovers a couple of days later. And so it was a mixture of nice, you know, beet salads and then, you know, pasta and spaghetti, you know, with bolognese sauce and then soup and then a roast chicken, which then could be made into soup again and, you know, things like that. A few things happened during confinement that I think will last beyond the confinement. One of the things is that even my French Parisian friends, I saw more of in confinement because of our weekly Skype or Zoom meetings. I have a gang of friends I play cards with, usually once a month, for these late night card parties, which is a, a French game called Tarot, based on a tarot deck, but it's kind of like whist, actually, weirder than bridge. And so I was seeing them every week, which I never do. We were discovering more about people that I see all the time, but didn't realize I didn't see all the time, you know, and now I do. And that's going to continue on the reaching out and the contact and the connection with people here, because we suddenly realize it's not coming from anywhere else. The only message I would offer to people out there in the world who are feeling the uncertainty about this pandemic or about the state of the economy or where we're going to be in three months or four months or five months time is to care for the people that you have in your life. If you're not living with somebody or if you are alone, do reach out. Do try to make some connection or contact somehow in the park, six feet apart, something. And also take care of yourself. Don't get bugged down with, you know, what are the politics of this disease? The politics of the disease are there are no politics. It doesn't discriminate. It doesn't care whether you're on the left or on the right, if you're arch conservative or radical, you know, leftists. It doesn't care. The disease doesn't care. It's very, very, very hard to defend and to explain to my friends here, my French friends, what the United States is going through right now. They cannot understand why a certain cynical portion of the population have turned this into a cultural wedge or an issue, not of health and public safety, but of political preference. And I can't defend it. I can't explain how what's considered one of the most advanced 
economies and democracies in the world can't get this right and can't get it under control because of absolute failure of leadership and also completely cynical manipulation of the crisis. So I would say, please vote for better leaders. That's a big takeaway. Europe has shown that you can get past this. Asia has shown that you can get past this. The United States isn't showing that right now, and it's truly horrifying, and it's staggering. It's hard to grasp. I can't defend it. I can't explain it. I can just hope that better minds prevail and prevail soon. Thank you for listening to Coexisting. It's Lara Lightbody, the producer of the show. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear the story unfold, here is where I need your help. Hit the subscribe button so Coexisting comes up automatically in your feed. Secondly, write a review and rate with stars, especially if you listen on Apple Podcasts. And if there's anyone out there that you think would make a great guest, just get in touch. I'm on Instagram, Facebook or LinkedIn as Coexisting Podcast. That way, that many more people will find us.